So like Matt said, this summer, the elders and uh, some of the staff will be preaching through the book of James, and uh, we're going to continue on that tonight. If you want, you can go ahead and turn. James chapter 2 will be in 1 through 13. Um, So to start out, we'll go ahead and we'll kind of review the slides we've been looking through each week. So just the who, what, where, when, why of the book, but the who, uh, James the Just, um, also known as Old Camel Knees. Uh, leader, uh, leader of the Jerusalem church, and he was Jesus' brother. The what? This is a letter to Jewish Christian house churches scattered throughout the region, so the churches have been scattered, uh, and James is sending this letter to them. Uh, when? Early to mid-40s. This is the, the oldest New Testament book. And where? Obviously, Jerusalem, uh, Judea, Samaria, the Mediterranean, Asia Minor, and Europe. And the why, to pastor them through difficulty with the message, no matter what is going on, to live out your faith. So right now we're on week three. So to kind of give us some context of where we're at now and where we've been, kind of just sum up the last two weeks. So we had Jake uh, started out. He talked about having joy through trials because they develop perseverance. Uh, They give you some maturity. Talk about urgent prayer for wisdom. So as believers, we should be praying for wisdom. Um, and then how prayer must be accompanied by faith to be effective. So that sermon had a huge in, uh, uh, <laughs> uh, emphasis on trials and testing. So then last week we had Andrew with his uh, man in the mirror sermon, uh, wanting everybody to make a change. No message could have been any clearer. Um, <laughs> but we're, there you go. <laughs> uh, but talking about anger in your tongue and James urges the readers to live out what they hear. Um, so that kind of brings us into chapter 2. So if you have a Bible, we're going to go ahead and read uh, 2, 1 through uh, 13. So it starts out, My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears fine clothing and say, You sit here in a good place while you say to the poor man, you stand there or sit down at my feet. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man and not the rich are not the rich, the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court. Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. Forever keeps the whole law, but fails in one point, has become accountable for all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do murder... Have you become a transgressor of the law? So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty, for judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So when you read this text, I know uh, when I knew this was what I was going to be preaching on, I read the text, and immediately my first thought was, I feel like you could read this text, call the band back up and go. There's no reading between the lines in this. It's pretty straightforward. Um, There's not a lot of exegete that needs to happen for you to have a clear understanding of what this text means. But 
I think one of the things about it is this text is speaking to something that all of us struggle with, um, and it's not the rich versus poor. But to get there, we need to understand why does James give us, he gives us this, this thing that we're not supposed to do and then goes on this long passage about the rich and the poor. So to do that, we have to put some historical context to what's going on here. So James uses this illustration of the, the rich versus poor basically to show the church that they are being naive and the fact that they're showing so much favoritism to the rich. Um, during this time, the rich were the ones that were blaspheming Christ. There was a system uh, throughout Jerusalem that basically the rich tried to keep the poor poor to the point where if a poor man and a rich person ended up, you know, kind of getting buddy to buddy and people would think, OK, uh, he might the poor person might have something to gain from this. They would like it says in verse six, they would drag them to court. Now, this dragon, if you do look, not dragon, this dragging, <laughs> if you look at it, um, this isn't like a, hey, we need to take you over here. The Greek has very, very vicious tones to it. So it would have been like a dragging, like a beating to court, uh, basically to get a point across. Um, so not a pleasant experience. Now, James is not saying that all of the rich were oppressing the poor. So it's not all rich. It's just in this context, uh, in the historical context of Jews, uh, the poor were generally exploited because of their debt, and the rich would continuously make money off of them being in debt. Uh, the, the best way to think about it, I would think, would be like a credit card company. Uh, you have lots of debt and credit cards, you're paying the interest fees, but for some reason the credit cards keep giving you a bigger and bigger limit, so even though you may think you have money, you're still in more and more debt and the fees wound up, so therefore being exploited. Um, John Calvin kind of sums up this whole thought uh, about, you know, being naive and showing favoritism to the rich. Uh, Nate, can you throw that up? So this is what Calvin says about this. He says, there is no reason for men zealously to pay respect to their own executioners and at the same time to hurt men who are on their side. So I think that's a pretty good sum of what James is trying to get across there. Uh, Now, remember, so James is talking to his church. He understands what's going on there, so we have to apply that historical context to it. Um, you know, for us, for, this, for the church in Jerusalem, this would have made perfect sense. It would have hit them right in the heart to hear James, you know, basically call naive for favor in the rich. But, you know, for us, it might not make as much sense. And I think that could be a good thing. But the reality for us is this text is not about rich and poor. The text is about partiality. Um, so that's what we're going to hit on tonight. So first... Um, We're going to define partiality. So in verse one, my brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. So a good definition, I think, of partiality. Partiality means that you base your treatment of someone or your attitude towards someone on something that should not be the basis of how you treat them. All right, I'll say it again. You base your treatment of someone or your attitude towards someone on something that should not be the basis of how you treat them. So basically any type of discrimination could be partiality. So with this, I think when we look and we think about the attributes of God, it's easy for us to go and we can start uh, listing down. He's great. You know, God is good. He's sovereign. He's all powerful. But when it comes to God being impartial, I think that's one of the attributes that we, we don't talk about a lot. Um, you know, it's often overlooked. So, you know, for you, if you come in tonight and you've been dying to learn about partiality, 
this is your night, you know, get ready. So for us as believers, all of us, we all struggle with partiality. We try to put people in some type of category. It could be looks, it could be their house, uh, finances, what type of car they drive. It could be, you know, partiality, where we shop, all those things. And we are given to partiality. It's part of our fallen nature, fallen nature. But to Christ, partiality is a non-issue. Um, Christ and partiality are polar opposites of each other. They can't exist together. Um, so just to look at that, we got a couple verses to talk about God being impartial. Impartial. Uh, you don't have to turn to them. Nate has them up. But uh, first one would be Second Chronicles 19.7. Now then, let the fear of the Lord be upon you. Be careful what you do, for there is no injustice with the Lord our God or, partial, or partial, partiality or taking bribes. We have Deuteronomy 10.17. For the Lord your God is God of gods and the Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God who is not partial and takes no bribe. And then I don't have this one up there, but Malachi 2, there comes a part where God's indicting the priest of Israel because they're showing partiality. Uh, we go to the New Testament. We got Acts 10.35. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. And then we have Romans 2, 9 through 11. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek. So, you know, there's a lot to back up uh, that God is impartial. Um, we don't like to talk about it a lot. It's something that can be uncomfortable to us. Um, it can be challenging. And for the most part, when things are challenging, we tend to kind of dismiss them. Um, but that's what we're going to talk about tonight. So, so how do we get to partiality in this text, in James 2. Well, to know that, we've got to kind of look back to see what the buildup is. And I, I think we can look back to chapter 1. Uh, Andrew talked about it last week. But leading into partiality, partiality, James sets the stage for us in verse 26 and 27 of chapter 1 to get us to partiality. So um, he tells us what worthless religion is and then what true religion is. So first, let's read verse 26. If anyone thinks he is religious... And does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart. This person's religion is worthless. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Now, I wish I could tell you that there was some way that I went and did this huge exegesis of this passage and could say, hey, in the Greek, this meant this, that meant that. But literally what this passage is saying is, if you don't watch what you say, your religion is a sham. It's worthless. I mean, there is no reading between the lines on there, and that is worthless religion, according to James. All right, so then we switch over to 27. He talks about what true religion is. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So true religion, true Christianity, it's moved by a heart of mercy, Okay, it watches and talks about it watches what it talks about those created in God's image. It cares for the poor. It keeps itself free from the impurities of the world. So the stage is set for us to get into chapter two about partiality. You could start chapter two almost with a in light of these things or because of this. Therefore, go into chapter two, brethren, show no partiality. And we go on. All right. So for this text, I think there are three main points and I'm going to give you the points right off the bat. The three points basically mean the same thing, 
but it just goes from being very specific to more general. Um, so first point, if we look in verse 1, my brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. The first point, don't show partiality. It's pretty plain and clear in verse 1. All right. So very specific point, don't show partiality. So then we move on and we've got two more points. Like I said, that I think you'll see by the end of it, they mean the same thing, but it's just more of a general topic. If we go to verse 8, <clears throat> if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. So I think the second point of the text, love your neighbor as yourself. Okay. All right. Third point, if we go down to verse 12. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. Point number three, act as those who are going to be judged under the law of liberty, straight from the text. All right. So um, kind of as a side here, off to the side of my notes, I have just a little note to remind me to explain this. But, you know, we're not going to start in verse one and go down because before we get to the very specific point of partiality, I think we need to understand a couple of other things. So I just have a point here that reminds me to jump around. And every time I see it, I can't help but say, pack it up, pack it in, let me begin. <laughs> so I don't know. That's just random. But every time I see it, that's what I think of. So, all right. So we're going to start in verse 12. All right. So verse 12. So speak, <clears throat> so speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. So basically, when you don't show partiality and we love others, we are acting under the law of liberty. What is that? What is the law of liberty? It showed up last week um, in chapter 1 when Andrew was speaking. It was in verse 25. But James never explains what the law of liberty is. So we have to assume that to this church, they would have heard the law of liberty and they automatically knew what James was talking about. We don't have the luxury, so we kind of have to dig around. I think uh, if we turn to Galatians 5.13, we've got Paul who's using the same language to talk about this. And we'll be able to kind of put a definition around what the law of liberty is. So if you want to turn to Galatians 5.13, and some of your Bibles, if you have like the little cross references in there, it might already have Galatians 5.13 in there from this verse. Um, so Galatians 5.13, it says, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. All right, so the language here is very similar between Paul and James. So this should be nothing new to us and our community. You know, as long as I've been at the ring, I feel like we've talked about when you're saved, you are free from sin. You have this freedom. Now, with the freedom that we live in, because of forgiveness, not condemnation, does that give us, does that produce lawlessness or does that give us, you know, a free ticket to do whatever we want? And I think Paul and James would tell you no, based on those two verses, that because of this freedom, the only thing it should do is produce love. Okay, so James sums it up in verse 8, you should love your neighbor. Paul sums it up, Galatians 5.13, through love serve one another. So for Paul and James, love should be natural for all believers and it's evidence of being justified by faith. So this kind of leads into what Chris is going to talk about next week. So we're not going to talk about it, but love is evidence of being justified through faith. Uh, Chris will unpack that for you guys next week. Okay? So love is the law that governs us when we're born again. Love drives this freedom that we live in because of what Christ did on the cross. That is the law of liberty. Uh, that's what they would have understood it to be. Okay? 
Uh, so to kind of sum this up, there's an awesome quote um, from John Piper. And uh, I mean, who's going to disagree with John Piper? So uh, John Piper, we got the quote on the screen. This is what he says about the law of liberty. All right. How we treat others is the evidence of our relation to Christ. If we have been set free from sin's condemnation and dominion by Christ, then we live in liberty. And in this liberty, there is a law. The law of liberty, that is the law of love. We will be judged under this law, and this law says, do not show partiality. Okay, so the law of liberty is what we will be judged on, and if we do not love, we'll perish. I I don't know how to, to say it any other way, but... You know, we are born again and justified by faith, but if we do not love, we will perish. Um, it's a big deal. It's something that we don't talk about enough is the law of liberty. So we kind of need to define that to move on. So the law of liberty is, you know, to love. It should be a natural, just it should flow naturally from any believer. Okay, so now that we understand the law of liberty... You know, we've got the three points. Don't show partiality. Love your neighbor. Act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. The rest of that text is illustrations for why we should not show partiality. So we're going to go through the illustrations real quick. All right. So if we look at verse one. All right. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. First illustration. Partiality and Christ are polar opposites. Okay. Partiality and Christ are polar opposites. Um, verses 2 through 4. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, You sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, You stand over there, or sit down at my feet. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? So the second illustration in this text to go with those three points, partiality shows a judging heart. Okay? Then you've got verse 6 and 7, which you've got two illustrations in this verse. But you have dishonored the poor man, are not the rich ones who oppress you, and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? So the first illustration in these two texts is partiality lessens people, people made in Christ's image, and then also partiality can backfire on you. Okay? Then we go over to verse 9, 9 through 11. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails, one point has become accountable for it all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So showing, showing partiality negates the law of liberty. All right, and then the last one is in verse 13. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. <clears throat> so that last illustration, partiality is not mercy. If you don't show mercy, you are perished, just like we talked about straight from the text. Like I said, I wish it meant something different, but... That, that's exactly what it means. And like I said earlier, this text can preach itself. I mean, you've got the three points that are laid out straight from the text. I didn't have to dig and think of, oh, well, let me pull out three points. You've got the illustrations that back up the text, uh, that back up those three points within the text. Um, and I think that's just one thing that's great about the Bible. It's not just rules 
of submission. You know, God gives you these reasons of why you should submit. Um, He wants us to see the wisdom in the beauty in these commands that we have. So it's not just, hey, submit, because I said so. It's submit for these reasons. This is what can happen. Uh, Summer community group plug. We're going through the Bible, learning how to study it, how to read it, how to do things, you know, like this. So if you're not in one Wednesday nights, good time to start. All right. All right. So continuing on, before we really get into partiality, we need to look at mercy. All right. So if we look at verse 13. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. This is straight through from Matthew 5, 7, the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. It's, you know, straight from that text. And as believers, we've been given this mercy from Christ. This is the mercy that we live in. And if we show no mercy, if we show partiality, all the things we talked about earlier, uh, being partial because somebody has money, their cars, their houses, uh, even being partial to the poor. We'll kind of talk about that in a little bit. But if you do that and there's no repentance, you know, it's you will perish. But. The mercy that we're talking about has been given by Christ. So if that's the mercy that we live in, if it's the mercy we look to, if we live in this liberty that we talked about, then this mercy becomes just a natural response to every person. You know, the evidence of our faith will carry us through this judgment. This mercy is evidence of that faith. This is just breaking down verse 13. We have to understand that mercy for us as believers has got to be a natural response to anyone we don't show partiality. We show love. We show mercy. That's the only thing we should see from anybody. It should be a natural response. All right. So this is a big deal. And this is why James begins where he does in verse one, speaking of partiality. All right. And I will say I'm going a lot faster than I thought. So uh, you guys are in luck. All right. So if we read verse one again, my brothers, Show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. We do need to break down verse 1 because this is the main point of this whole text. This is our very specific point, our very specific command. So what does this mean? If you look at the verse, the word hold there. um, This word really literally means to put in somebody's face. So you could almost read it like, you know, don't hold your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Don't hold the faith that you have in the Lord. Don't hold your glorious Lord up in the face of partiality. They cannot coexist together. Um, The glorious of the Lord Christ and the sin of partiality are polar opposites of each other. Um, This should not be a part of our Christian life. So he starts off with a strong statement. Don't hold partiality with the Lord Jesus together. Okay, so he gives that specific command and then he moves on to the explanation of the rich and the poor. So he talks about don't show partiality, and then he gives us one example. But looking back at verse 1, that partiality in verse 1 is plural. So there's, you know, just letting you know that, hey, don't show partialities with the Lord. Here's one example, but there are many more. Looks, clothes, cars, house, social status, education. Those are all things that people can be partial to. And like I said, God is impartial. We're called to be like him. They can't coexist together. Okay? So we have to understand that partiality is a test of our faith. How we react to people is a test of our faith. 
And if we were to be, if we were to be like God, then how we react to people's education, their social status, um, it should be a non-issue. Uh, we should not look at people based on their experiences. Um, how long somebody has been a Christian should not factor into how we relate to them. Everyone is treated equally because they are in Christ. And that is the only measure for us. The only measure of how they will be handled, how people will be judged, is by God, His grace and mercy, not by us. So all we are, able, all we are supposed to do is look at people because of the Christ in them, through love, through mercy. All right, so in church, we see partiality a lot. Um, people who look a certain way kind of clump together. Uh, I use example, two weeks from now, the youth group is going to youth camp. There is this phenomenon that happens at youth camp where five or 600 students from all over the country will gather together, and within two or three hours, there are clumps of people who have already gotten together based on one thing alone. Hey, they look kind of like me. I'll go over there. This person, you know, I can kind of tell. It's a phenomenon. They don't know anything about themselves other than, hey, I think I could fit it over there. That is partiality. Partiality in the church has made some people very, very isolated. It leads to isolation because of partiality, because of clumps of people getting together. Somebody's going to be isolated. So if we take a look at ourselves and examine our own hearts, we could be the agent of healing for somebody who's been exposed to the sin of partiality in our church. Um, You know, when we look at partiality, we're partial to people. And it has no spiritual basis at all. The only thing that should matter is the fact that we are flowing love and mercy to everybody. Okay? So partiality, it's a test of our faith, right? So as Christians, we should be compelled by the righteousness to evaluate our hearts and how we treat other people. Um, It should draw us to really question what we're thinking. Um, It's a test of our faith. It's a test of our faith. And like I said, according to this text, it's not something that we should just overlook. It's a big deal. And we just don't talk about it enough because it's extremely uncomfortable. But let's stop and consider this. So consider the person next to you. Think about the person at work, just somebody who really gets under your skin. They, They just egg you the wrong way. And let's not egg you, edge you the wrong way. And let's really scripturally objectify what we've been saying. With all that, if that person is born again, if that person is born again, they have the same Christ as you do living in their heart. So whenever we talk or whenever we address that person, whenever we show partiality, we're showing partiality to Christ as well. It's It's a basic biblical truth. Christ is in them. Christ is in you. The way you look at them, that's the way you're looking at Christ. So there's nothing new about it, but, you know, if we really looked at things that way, how do we address people? How would that change the way we looked at people? You know, just think about all the ways we tend to be partial and all that stuff flees when we're not talking about, oh, this person's poor or I react to a person this way. No matter how awkward you think somebody is with this biblical truth, all those things go away when you can look at somebody and all you can do is bask in the glory of Christ in them. You know, uh, there is no partiality. And with us and our humanness, it's hard to do. But when we can look at Christ in them and bask in that glory, we've come to a spot where we can look and see what Christ is in them. 
So when the law of liberty governs us, this is our only response. And what an amazing thought to be able to look at somebody for what Christ is in them, not the way they look on the outside, not where they live, not what they drive. That is our only response. Um, hospitality in our church has come up over the years, and we've gotten so much better with it. But I think just a practical application of this, and it's something that we've seen in the past of the churches, in our churches, somebody walks in, they may look a little different than us, but nobody talks to them. They sit in the back. They're by themselves. Based off of everything that we've talked about earlier, if this person comes here and that happens and they know Christ, by, by those actions... We've basically made one assumption, and that is that they don't belong. That, that's the assumption that we've made, because why does anyone who owns the gloriousness of Christ not belong here? Why do they not belong anywhere? So if we understand that this is a test of our faith, then we'll have to want to write this in our lives. Um, it may require us to start examining you know, how in our own hearts, how do we respond to other Christians um, we may be amazed at how we can spiritually influence somebody if, if you're amazed at the fact that Christ in them, you know, you're amazed that the glory of Christ is in them and you take a spiritual interest in them. How could that change the way people look at all of us as believers if that's the only thing that we look at a person, not anything else that can make us partial? Um, so I said I went through this a lot faster than I thought. And uh, I did. So <laughs> the band, you could come on up. Um, when we look at partiality, we are partial to people and it really has no spiritual basis at all. Um, God's not interested in what we have. He's not interested in what we lack. He's only interested on what's on the inside. So, you know, I, I don't know if, you know, maybe I wasn't wasn't clear in explaining partiality to you. I don't know where this hits you, um, but I know it's one thing that everybody struggles with. Everybody is partial in some way. Um, you know, so how are you partial in your actions? It's just something to think about. What, how are you partial? Like, in what ways are you partial? Um, do you trust Jesus as the Lord of glory? Um, if you do, then His glory will put you in a place that will flow nothing but love, not partiality. It flows mercy, not partiality. So if you're not in that place, then confession, some type of repentance need to happen. Um, if this is something that does hit home with you tonight, don't just leave saying, oh, I'll get to it later. Because reality is, if it's something that's stirring in you, it's something that Christ wants to deal with. And like I said earlier, I think when things are challenging to us, that's why we run from them. Run from them. But... Christ really wants to deal with this, um, you know, if that's stirring up. Um, for some of us, it may take a shift in your motives. So remember, behavior is what we do, but your motives are why we do it. So what is the reason you're being partial? What motivates you being partial? Um, you know, is, does it make you feel good about yourself hanging out with a certain amount of pe uh, certain people? You know, a lot of times partiality just gives you really just a false sense of security. Um, it, it's just a false way of justifying yourself. So what are your motives when you find yourself being partial? And it's not just being partial to, you know, people who may have money or people. You can be partial to the poor. Think about, you know, what are, what are your motives for if you go to breakfast on the levee? 
You know, do you have good motives where you're thinking nothing of love and mercy for these people? Or is it, you know, I haven't been in a while, I kind of need to go. That's partiality. You know, there's no way around it. That is being partial. Um, been on so many mission trips where we're serving the poor. But what is your motive in that? Is your motive because here's a good picture that has to make the PowerPoint presentation? You know, what are our motives in serving the poor? So I hope you can walk away with something tonight on partiality. Um, I know originally when I got this text, I was scared to death to deal with it uh, because I think it's like I said, it's one that everybody struggles with. Um, I didn't know how I would communicate it. Um, but I hope you walk away with something from it tonight. And I hope you're challenged to truly, you know, live in that law of liberty. You know, show mercy, show love as your first response to anybody. Truly, you know, change the way that we view other Christians and other people. So we're going to do what we do every week. We're going to sing a couple songs to just kind of sit on it, pack it in, whatnot. We're going to sing inside out. And like I said, for some, it's just going to take a change of you kind of self-examining and realizing that you do need to make a change in how you look at people. Um, and then we're going to sing beautiful things, just, you know, looking at everybody in the image of God. I mean, that, that's what it is. Uh, we're to be impartial, show nothing but love and mercy. So uh, we'll pray and then we'll sing. Y'all can stand. God, we want to thank you for the fact that we're born again, we own the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And the God of glory is present in us. I pray that we evaluate our hearts and our relationships with others. I pray that the Holy Spirit will lead us to make decisions, confess, and forsake the sin of partiality in our lives. I pray that we look at other believers more objectively. Jesus is the glory of God and we are in Him. So we're growing into Christ's likeness every day. We're not to hold our faith along with partiality. They just can't coexist together. They're polar opposites. Help us to know your work and do it, Lord. We can only do this with your help. It's in your name we pray. Amen.